0: service more of a client's needs than any other type of organization, especially organizations that we compete with on
1: the wealth side. By virtue of having the plan, they make fewer financial mistakes.
0: That's part of the evolution from investment services to wealth management, right? Because with wealth management,
2: you have to base it on a plan. Pretty blunt, I think it's gonna be the only way long-term advisors can survive.
1: And their expectation is that we're going to be able to help them with everything.
2: And not be focused on, they need somebody in that corner office to just sling fixed annuities.
1: Start fishing in different ponds so that we can attract a more diverse set of um, advisors for the way this business is heading.
0: When a woman inherits the wealth, her first act is to fire the male advisor and find somebody she can relate
3: to. Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. We will then turn it over to Janet Cappelletti, the creator of bankchannelresearch.com, who will kick us off with a trending overview.
4: This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at ameriprise.com AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you.
5: Hi, this is Janet Cappelletti, the Managing Director of Research for Stathis Partners. And the creator of BankChannelResearch.com here to give you a short wrap-up of Q1 2022. Managed money shot up 25% since Q1 last year, while transactional revenue sank about 25%. Now, fee-based revenue growing by 25% is right in line with what we're seeing. The institutions reporting managed money account assets at the beginning of last year having grown by a third by January 2022. Overall, total investment account assets grew 15%, where retail deposits grew 13% in 2021, which is down from the deluge in 2020, where the retail deposits grew 22%. So I'd like to thank LPL and Infinex for much of the information provided for this analysis. And now I'd like to hand it over to Scott and Bob.
0: Hello, I am Scott Stathis from Stathis Partners, and welcome to this episode of BISA Trend Watch, titled The Evolution of Investment Services to Wealth Management. I will be your host, along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself in a moment, and our panelists today include an executive who manages one of the largest programs in our channel and an executive from a third-party broker-dealer who gets to observe best practices from his perch above a variety of client programs. So I'm going to turn it over to Bob Mattel so he can introduce himself, and then he will have the panelists introduce
6: themselves. Bob? Well, thanks, Scott. I am Bob Mattel, and I am the co-host of this podcast. And Let me also welcome our listeners to the BISA Trend Watch. We have a great panel today, but before we introduce them, let's remind our viewers that all things BISA can be found at bisanet.org. You can find this podcast and all of our podcasts there from the BISA. So now on to our panel, Scott.
0: <laughs> me? Oh no, the other Scott. Okay. The other Scott, <laughs>
6: yes.
1: I've got two Scott's today. So it's doubly nice. So, well, first of all, Scott and Bob, thank you for inviting me to join you. I am again Scott Ford. I'm the head of affluent wealth management from US Bank and US Bank Core Investments.
6: All right. And thankfully, we don't have a third stop, but let me introduce the viewing audience, Josh. Good afternoon. Nice to be back again, Scott and Bob. So
2: I'm the Senior Regional Sales Director in our Advisor Business Development Group at Ameriprise, working exclusively with our uh, institutional advisors located out of uh, Minnesota, where we're headquartered out of and have the privilege of working with about 100 programs, a couple
6: hundred advisors across the country. Excellent. So let's get into it with the first question from Scott Stathis.
0: Bob is using his official radio (laughs) announcer voice today.
6: We've got it going. It's a Friday afternoon before happy hour, everybody. That's right.
0: (laughs) All right. So first question, and our first question is typically based on trending. And as we look at the quarterly results for this year, we see that overall program productivity trending was up for the first quarter of this year when we compare it to the first quarter of last year, but slightly lower when we compare it to last quarter. So just wondering how that compares to what you're seeing in your programs, A, and then B, also, how do you think the current economic environment, including inflation, interest rates, et cetera, will affect production for the balance of the year? So that's B. And then C, so this is a three-part question. (laughs) How is it affecting the discussions that your advisors are having or should be having with their clients. So, Scott, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. And I'll take that one. Probably similar to everyone else, you know, we're facing some of the same headwinds. This is obviously an unprecedented time in our business, given just some of the recent market volatility that's driven by inflation, anticipated increases in interest rates. We'll probably see several this year. And then, of course, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which is first and foremost a human tragedy. So, we've seen some reduction in net new asset flows and obviously in new accounts, as one might expect, given all of that. However, what I would say is our clients have been pretty resilient through all of this. They're not panicking. Our US Bank Corp investment wealth management advisors have strong, deep relationships with our clients, and they've done a great job of reaching out to them. Proactively and giving them what we consider to be really high quality advice. So, from that perspective, I think things are going pretty well. Ours is a balanced business, and I know we're going to dive into this a little later in the discussion, but we help our clients across the entire balance sheet, right, with all their banking and investment needs. And because we have that kind of balance in our program, our business is holding up really, really well. Our wealth professionals are really, really engaged in working with clients. We're revisiting financial plans, updating those plans to make sure that people are still on track to meet their goals. We're reminding clients it's less about market returns in any given year, but more about, you know, are you really on track to meet your long-term objectives? And in addition, our US Bank Asset Management Group has done a really, really good job in terms of the performance of our portfolios. They've made several strategic and tactical changes in recent months when our clients have not done a lot of shifting around because we're doing a really, really good job there. So we're focused on delivering good, solid returns without taking on too much risk.
0: And it sounds like, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like your focus has been with clients, staying on track as it relates to the plan and not necessarily return oriented, but success to plan oriented, which is a much better strategy, obviously, right? So tell me if that's right. And then two, it sounds like you're very planning oriented. So I'm just curious, roughly what percentage of your client base do you think has a financial plan at this point?
1: So I'll start with the first part. We are absolutely trying to deliver advice in the context of a holistic planning orientation we try to remind clients not to be tossed around with the up and down of the markets because that's going to happen I'm, you know on average the market draws down at least 10% a year at least once a year and people kind of lose sight of that so we try to get them focused completely on just their annual returns and in this industry we kind of like live and and we see the S&P 500 and the returns associated with it all the time but what clients really need to stay oriented on and anchored on is What's important to me and my family? Have I identified what our goals and objectives are? And do I have the right solutions in place that are gonna help me get there? And I think that when we can keep them focused on that, I think it's a good thing. And and so far, so good. We absolutely believe in financial planning. I'm a certified financial planning certificate. And uh, for sure, it's just something that I think is foundational, especially as we kind of move away from selling investment solutions, right? to offering more holistic financial advice to our clients. And there was a second part to your question I want to make sure I answer also.
0: Yeah, just a a feel for the percentage of your client base that has a financial plan. I understand you might segment your client base because not everybody needs a financial plan, but if you look at your target segment that you feel really should have a financial plan, how much penetration do you have into that relative to the percentage that have plans?
1: Yeah, you know, we've made some progress. We're not where I would like for us to be. I believe that everyone needs some sort of financial plan. You know, I have three adult children. You know, my son, Julian, is 35. I have two daughters, Chanel and Morgan, 32 and 24, respectively. I think even they need a financial plan because as I think about a financial plan, it really is more or less a roadmap of where it is you're trying to get to. And the plan itself is not the most important part. In other words, the outcome or the output that, you know, that document that you get. I think the real value in planning is the discussion. Getting clients to think about what it is they're trying to accomplish, where it is they see themselves, you know, how they're going to get prepared to get there. So probably I, I, a third or forty percent probably of our clients have a plan. What I do know is our clients that have a financial plan have significantly higher levels of overall client satisfaction than those that don't. And I believe that just by virtue of having the plan, they make fewer financial mistakes. And so we're doing a better job on that. So, so my goal, and I'm going to state this publicly I fundamentally believe everyone should have a financial plan. I know that there are some customers who might be standalone, one mutual fund position, but as I think about members of my family, regardless of their level of affluence, should have some instance of a financial plan so that they can know what it is they're trying to accomplish and know where they're going. I think 90% of all clients should have some sort of financial plan. And we're nowhere close to that number, but it's purely aspirational.
0: Well, and I think that's part of the evolution from investment services to wealth management, right? Because with wealth management, you have to base it on a plan. So, Josh, I want to get your input. But one more question for you, Scott, because you made an implication that I think is extremely important. And that is, it's not the plan itself, the deliverable, that piece of paper, that report. That is the most critical thing. It's the discussion that you have. And so just to bring that picture into a little bit more focus, because I used to run a financial planning software company. And one of the things that I believe based on working with my clients is that by far the most important part of an advisor's job is the discovery process asking the right questions to truly understand the client's needs and the emotional factors that influence the financial decisions. And if you are financial planning centric, you have to have a discovery discussion. And if you focus on the discovery discussion and make it best of breed, you're going to gather assets. So what's funny is even though I used to run a software company for financial planning, I used to tell our clients, It's an 80-20 rule. 80% of the benefit of using financial planning is not actually using the software. It's asking the right questions so you know what to put into the financial plan,
1: right? That's right. That's right. I tell tell people all the time, it's not about the tool. And by the way, there are some fantastic financial planning tools available, but it really isn't about the tool, right? As you said, and I share this belief, it is really about that discussion and about that conversation. If you can get me thinking about well, how am I gonna ever reach retirement? Or how am I going to fund my children's college education? Or if I have someone who special needs, has special needs in my family, how am I gonna provide for them? That's the real value in, in that planning discussion and process, so I agree with you there.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yep. And that's an important point to reinforce. We've done it several times in our podcast, but I don't think that can be reinforced enough, it's critical. All right, Josh, your turn. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. So Josh, your thoughts on both where we're heading from a productivity standpoint and then the discussions that clients are having or that advisors are having with clients relative to what's going on. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. And
2: Scott kind of stole a bunch of my thunders. So uh, really well said, Scott. So I'll uh, kind of first quarter, uh, we've actually had a really uh, good start to the year uh, within our platform, uh, I'd say with all of our organic and I'll kind of split it up in two segments. So the advisors organically that have been here for a while They're up actually about 25% after the first quarter. And a lot of that I'll talk about later, but is the focus on moving to more asset-based fee management and the money is coming back around. We've moved our platform from about 35% to about 50% in managed money. And that's starting to, as you know, uh, come back around year over year. So that's been really helpful for our organic side. And then when you bring in the new advisors to our platform on the last year, we've actually seen the platform channel probably grow over 50%. So overall, production-wise, really, really good. At the same time, though, we know the first quarter has been tough with all the external things going on, the inflation, the Ukraine, interest rates, et cetera. And our advisors are having tough conversations. They're having clients that are looking at other avenues, are, are worried about being invested. So... The one thing I can say that we are continuing to stress in our advisors that are having the best conversations, Scott, you've mentioned it both, Scotts, is the uh, the planning conversation. So the advisors that are looking at the entire situation are in a much better spot. They're not getting phone calls, first of all, unless they're not getting those those random phone calls on what do I do? They've already been prepared. They're looking at their situation. They have a goal set that they know they're on track for retirement, for you know, helping their kids' educations, the, the other expenses in their life. So that's been a big shift. I know we're going to talk more about that in some future questions here. So I won't talk about it all right now, but You know, as a whole, we're feeling really good. Our advisors are feeling really good just with how they've shifted their businesses over the last couple of years. And when you have times like this come up, they're kind of seeing the fruits of their labor there.
0: Yeah. And, and you guys at Ameriprise have always been planning centric, right? That's been your game plan since day one. And it's, it's really benefiting to you at this point and your clients. I, I work with a number of your clients. So I completely see the value in that. And we as a channel used to be so transactional oriented and it's so refreshing to finally see the adoption of planning, cause it's taken a long time. I mean, there's been some really good financial planning stuff out there for a long time. And our channel has been resistant and resistant. And finally, you know, <laughs> we've woken up over the last decade and we're actually using the stuff and it's making a huge difference. So that is, uh, it's good to see. So Bob, I'm gonna pass it to you. You have a question lined up.
6: Yes, we'll switch gears a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about structure of our programs. So we talk a lot on these podcasts about strategies and tactics. And this month, we wanted to focus on advisor tiering, you know, how advisors evolve and what their chain is in terms of how they're tiered, and also utilizing a team-based approach for different client segments. So what can you share about each of these, Josh, in terms of what you've seen and your go-forward strategies, advisor tiering, and team approach to different segments? Yeah, thanks, Bob. So this
2: has been a huge, huge focus within our firm the last couple of years. So I'll break it down in a couple of different segments. So what have we invested in and what do we have for our advisors, for our programs to really look at that advisor tiering and you know segmenting the clients? We have some tools and software out there that they can easily view their book and they can move it around and they can look at a program level, how many clients we service, what the assets look like, where the revenue is coming from. And, you know, within that, we can push that into our CRM tool. So then your kind of practice management, your day-to-day, your week-to-week, your month-to-month. And, you know, all those things are important is let's look at the business. What do we have here and how do we structure it? So from that point, then it comes the conversation of working with the institutions, working with the leaders. What is the demographic of your clientele, your, your customers, your members of the credit union look like? How many branches do you have? And does it make sense to bring in a junior advisor? Does it make sense to bring in an advisor for possible sunset or retirement for somebody that's been there for years and years and years? And then does a team make sense? So we talked about like a team position where you have advisors that focus on different areas of a client situation. You have your investment person. You have your maybe estate and insurance person. You have your just client management person maybe we have different levels your more tenured advisor versus your junior advisor and we've seen that across all of our programs we have solo practitioners still that are the one person run in 10 branches we have big teams that are run in two or three branches or just one branch and they're able to really meet with every single advisor so it's been a big focus like i said we've invested the capital to to give our programs our advisors the tools they need to actually you know, implement on it. And then our leaders do a great job of making sure they know what's out there and can we implement this?
6: You know, I've heard a lot about the second story advisors or second floor, whatever you decide in an organization to call them. Do you have anything to share on that level as well?
2: Yeah. So our bigger programs, we are definitely setting up the wealth programs within those institutions that way. There might be a set asset level that we're trying to get that advisor to. And once they get that asset level, they're going to have permission to have that conversation about getting a junior or an advisor that's going to take those walk-ins. Or is it a set number of clients that you service? Everybody looks at it a little differently. And we know that having a service model, having a process that you can deliver on, uh, an experience you can deliver on, I should say, is super important. We don't want you having five, six hundred clients we want you to have maybe it's 150 maybe it's 250 that you can meet with regularly having a service model and that gives you permission to be that second floor advisor and you're not getting that foot traffic granted there's not a lot of foot traffic these days but uh you know um, maybe there's some virtual traffic people are getting sent over virtually for a zoom meeting like we're on today that's a discussion but it's more of a Let's talk about that when you hit some metrics and, uh, and it's going it's to be good
6: for you and it's going to be good for our program. Absolutely. It's a, it's a combination of book optimization and program optimization to really exactly. make you know, we treating the, se- you know, the right clients in each segment with the right level of service. And the team approach also actually works real well. I, we've seen in a lot of programs. Have you reached that level where you're taking these teams and going to different parts of the organization in terms of like lending opportunities and, and different parts of the company?
2: Not formally. So what I'd say within our teams, there's a big focus on that center of influence and just your branding and you know how you're perceived within the institution. And when you have a bigger team and as they grow, they're definitely starting to partner with those loan officers or other parts of the banks or of the credit unions. They have a mutual relationship, and ultimately you're seeing increased referrals, better referrals. I'd say the business banking, the small business owners, is a huge area that if you can dip your toes in there, our bigger teams are, are having a lot of success in that
6: area. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, and it kind of crosses through all different silos in the
1: organization.
6: Let's go to my neighbor Scott Ford for his thoughts on advisor tiering and segmentation.
1: Yeah, thanks, Bob. It's a great question. Our business is segment. Our entire business is segmented. Based on client size and complexity. So, you know, across our entire wealth management organization, we're segmented to serve clients that way. And so for I'll give you an example in our emerging affluent business, our automated investor product, which is offered through US Bank Corp Investments, is designed for newer investors with simple, straightforward investment needs. Think of like that's our robo platform as they're commonly referred to. And then the rest of the business, we also organize ourselves around clients and their needs so that the most appropriate wealth professional can serve them based on their specific situation. As it relates to the tiering of advisors, you've been doing this a long time, right? Not all advisors are created equal. And we have at U.S. Bank Corp Investments, we have all kinds of advisors at different stages of their career development and the maturation of their practices. We have advisors that have 15 and 20 years experience. They're doing millions of dollars in production. And we have people that are two or three years into their journey. So obviously, the kind of help and support that that more tenured person needs is a lot different from that newer person. And we try to meet the advisors and give them the level of support that's appropriate to where they are. What I would say is we've gone almost entirely to a team construct. So we partner our wealth management advisors with a wealth management banker, and we kind of formalize that. And they work together on a pretty regular and consistent basis to serve the needs of our clients. And what we found is that clients, in particular affluent and high net worth customers, really do appreciate having a team of individuals that can help them across their balance sheet. Because as they look at us, as they look at these financial institutions, they're not thinking of their financial life in a siloed way, the way many organizations are organized. They're thinking about, look, I need help with my finances. And so Bob can help me with banking, Scott's my investment um, advisor. and you know, whenever I need something, they can help me, whether it's deposit investment or loan. So.
6: I think that makes a lot of sense. And I recall also your responsibilities cross into the bank side as well.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. So within the affluent business that I'm responsible for, it's across their entire balance sheet. So banking, investments, and, and, and loans. So,
6: What a great way to meet the six core needs, which I always start with protection, legacy, income later, income now, savings, and credit. And you know why I start with protection? Because we'll have a question later about that. But the other thing that you keep saying is wealth management, wealth management, wealth management. And that leads us perfectly to Scott Stathis' next question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it does. And thank you. But before I get to that question, I can't help but ask a follow on question because um, Scott, you brought up something that I'd like to layer into a little bit, and that is the client's perspective. So, one of the things, if we think of the bank on a whole. I think one of the things that those of us that work in banks are guilty of is thinking not only from the perspective of our bubble, but thinking from the perspective of the organization. And when we do that, we're like, okay, so we have trust, we have business lending, we have mortgage, we have, you know, whatever it might be. And we think that's the way the client thinks of us, but they really don't. They have needs and they just want our help with their needs. And the more we use those terms to them, the worse position we're in. And the opposite is true. The more we just ask them about what their needs are and then tell them how we can help their needs, it doesn't matter what department it's coming from, right? Then the better job we're doing in servicing all their needs. So the point of all that is I've been recently doing a lot of work on the value of cross departmental cooperation. And there are... Inherent walls between departments, there are silos, there are sometimes trust issues with a small t that we need to break down. Because mm-hmm. the beauty of a bank or a credit union for that matter, in a lot of instances, is that we can service more of a client's needs than any other type of organization, especially organizations that we compete with on the wealth side. So if you look at the independent channel and the RIA channel, we have more to bring to bear if we're working really well together as a high efficiency organization, right? So Scott, you mentioned that clients like to be served by a team, those clients in the right segments. And that is so true because think of how important that makes a client feel. If they're sitting with somebody from lending and somebody from private banking and somebody from wealth, that's a big deal. And the client experience shines, right? And we have historically been guilty of too much separation between departments and not inspiring that cross-departmental cooperation. And I think the better we can get at that, the more competitive we as a channel are going to be. And so I just wanted to highlight that because you implied that. And I think that is so important for our future. So good for you for recognizing that. So that does lead to the next question, which is (laughs) the questions on wealth management, because it's becoming a buzzword in our channel now, right? We used to be investment services. And now we're calling ourselves wealth management. At least a lot of programs are. But the majority of the programs out there, I know this, they haven't changed anything other than the name. (laughs) Right? So what is so the question is what's really involved in being a wealth manager versus just investment services. And I think part of it is what I just described, but I mean, you implied a lot of it already, but let's really talk the truth about, all right, what is wealth management and what do we have to do to truly get there? So Scott, if you want to kick us off with that question.
1: Yeah, it really is a great question and a great observation, by the way. I'll date myself a little bit, but when we all probably started in this business, we were stockbrokers and then we became financial consultants. And so names do change over time. But the way I think about it, and the way I think we can help your audience think about it, is wealth management is about more than just investment products, right? If you think about what comprises a person's wealth, for many of us, it's your home. You know, it includes your retirement plan and your retirement accounts. It, it absolutely includes your investment accounts and what you've got saved in various places. So, I think wealth management is a much more integrated way of working with clients and i think that that has just that has just changed over time i think you know previously most places were kind of like single product they had a single product orientation and then as these financial institutions in particular the banks i think have done a really really good job as they brought all these verticals together you know we have all of it in one place so if a client comes To U.S. Bank, they don't think about U.S. Bank, and they don't think about, okay, so this person over here, even though legally and from a compliance perspective, we have to make sure that we're making disclosures and know this is a U.S. Bank or investments or affiliate U.S. Bank, but they see us as one institution. So if I'm going to pick up the phone and I need help, I think their perception is and their expectation is that we're going to be able to help them with everything. So even if I'm an investment client, you know, my wealth management advisor is at least going to be able to make the introduction to the mortgage person. Let's say I'm buying a second home, right? If I've got some concerns about retirement or if I've changed jobs and I need to roll over a 401k, that person can help me with that. But they can also think about, there are a lot of great credit card benefits and things like that, that affluent customers, you know, that are important to them. So as I think about wealth management, wealth management is a much more integrated, view in a much more integrated way of working with a client across their entire balance sheet, right, for the whole of their financial lives. And again, I'll keep putting a plug for financial planning. You know, that planning is what I think ties it all together. But they don't see us as disparate institutions. They see us as one institution that can help me with everything.
0: Absolutely. And I think that is such an important point to drive home and such an important point for our industry to not only give lip service to, but really start making progress with, right? So that integration is what can differentiate us if we truly work at it with a purpose, right? So, all yeah. So Josh, any thoughts on that subject as you look at some of the institutions that you're working with?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll be pretty blunt. I think it's going to be the only way long term advisors can survive. If they're advertising themselves as wealth management or comprehensive with clients, that's going to keep them in the business. And I'll share a quick example. I can tell you here, our best advisors, the ones that are growing are doing just that they're leveraging their relationship within the credit unions within the banks, as wealth management and all encompassing, I can help you with everything a huge value add. On the flip side, I had a conversation just recently with an advisor that said, recently, I'm getting good referrals, Josh, I'm sitting down, I'm telling them how I'm doing business. And half of them are saying no. And you start to dig a little deeper. And Scott, you kind of mentioned it like being a stockbroker. And that type of relationship, there's still advisors out there that are very transactional based are still charging to place trades on stocks. I'm younger, I'm not that young, but I would never in a million years think of doing that anymore. Calling up a stockbroker to buy Apple and charge me 1%, like there's still that concept out there. So wealth management, in my opinion, is the only way long-term that that you're going to survive. And being in those institutions, I mean, you have the luxury of, you know, again, myself, I started my first checking account when I was probably nine years old, had a little lawn mowing business and put some money in there. I didn't get an introduced to the wealth side and I've been in the business for 17 years now until I was in my mid-20s. So think about how long I just knew about a bank and you were the one that told us about this, Scott, state this, uh, your first experience with investments or just money is a checking account. And there's all that time for the advisors to get them in front of you and actually be the wealth guy or gal or person for you at the end of the day. So wealth management, I think is huge. I can tell you within our firm, that's been a huge focus. And if we looked at like managed money or planning, I know that we've grown that business and even just the last year by about 55%. So it's the only thing we're worried about because we know if we don't do it, we're going to be left behind in a couple of years. So I think it's coming. Yeah,
0: well said. So the frustration that I've had in working in the bank channel for as long as I have been is that, and this is, Josh, what you're inferring is that everybody starts with 100% of their assets in a bank or a credit union because that's where their first paycheck goes. And the wealthier they get, the less likely it is that those wealth assets stay in a bank or credit union. They go elsewhere. They go to the Fidelities, the Vanguards, et cetera. We're letting that happen and we shouldn't. We're getting better at reducing that asset seep and wealth management in the true integrated sense of the word is the solution for that. But finally, we're waking up and realizing that because I can show statistically where those assets go as they grow those wealth assets, right? <laughs> but there are organizations that are now saying, all right, we can be that one-stop shop if we work really well cross-departmentally and look at what integrated wealth management really means and start implementing it, right? And it's not like you flip a switch and, and you know you realize what integrated wealth management is. You flip a switch and you're there. It's a journey. You're going to change the culture. It's going to take years, but you better start now or you're not going to be in business five years from now. I mean, right? If you want to put it bluntly. So, yeah. So, now this leads us into a question that Bob has because one of, so that was one of my frustrations with this channel that the assets seep as people grow wealthier. Here's my second, and this is the lead in for Bob that is that most advisors in the channel are guilty of working with clients to grow their assets, but not also protect their assets. So they're only doing half of their job. We've dropped the ball consistently on the protection need. And that's the question I think that Bob has queued
6: up for you guys. So Bob. I have that question every month. You do. <laughs> It's passion. <laughs> I've had that question for the last 25 years of my career, having worked on both distribution and manufacturing side of the protection business. And we're having this great conversation about wealth management, about financial planning. The importance of life insurance has come into even more focus during the pandemic. A recent LIMRA survey stated that protection products were sold in 2021 at a pace not seen since 1983. So that begs the question, Josh, is there anything going on in your programs to leverage this potential increase in demand? And we're talking about financial planning. Financial planning must include protection. So what can you share with us that's going on in your world? You hit it, Bob. Financial planning, it leads to
2: insurance. That's my answer. No, I'll expand on that. So, uh, no, it's a huge focus. And I'd say the luxury that, you know, Prize, we have here is for decades, that's been our, you know, we've really been big on planning, which in turn leads to insurance and how those solutions can help fill the gaps. I can tell you firsthand in the last year and a half, there's been an extra push with resources, tools, and support, especially within our institutional advisors. Help drive that because, as Scott said, that's a huge miss for a lot of our advisors in the institutions. They're just talking about investments. They're not comfortable a lot of times with insurance. So, one thing we've done is we have a resource for new to the insurance business. How can we just get you comfortable with the basics? We can help you with some of those phone calls or those meetings with those clients. And, you know, lo and behold, you start doing a few of those, you, you build some comfort level and a cadence and those insurance sales are picking up. So we've seen the same thing within our firm. And really the focus has been do the planning, do the comprehensive. That's going to open up the conversation, then leverage our resources, our support uh, on even our tools to help show the client, show the customer, the member, what you have to offer. And it's really been a a nice uh, uptick in
6: sales. And there are a lot of resources available in the market to really eliminate the pain points that we all perceive in insurance. What are some of the, um, the resources that you're providing? So we have formal coaching. First of all, a little plug for myself. If
2: you want to set up some recurring calls to focus on specific things, we believe in really helping our advisors grow and give them that formal coaching. And then also we have different tiers of internal support. So to pay on your expert level, because obviously we have brand new to insurance, and then we have some seasoned veteran insurance folks Maybe someone like you, Bob, that knows it really, really well, but you have a very complex case. Let's get you to that really high level expert within the firm. So we have a nice, I guess, a la carte, if you will, of where you need to go. And then just as far as our tools and marketing, really top line, visually stimulating, pleasing to see for a client, easy to look at, plug in your information and it pops out what you're looking for. So yeah, I'd say it's a mixture of human capital and then just tools and investments there.
6: Sounds like you've got the plan in place. So we're looking to see some better results in 2022 all around. So Scott Ford, U.S. Bank, talking about financial planning without protection is investment planning. I know you guys are not doing that. You're not committing financial malpractice. Talk to me about protection.
1: (laughs) Oh, I I love it, Bob. Uh, Let me tell you, I've been doing this for a long time, as have you. And I will tell you that I think that We all know it, right? Intellectually, even the advisors know that they should be doing protection planning. I think that many of them don't do it because they're afraid. They're afraid of getting the question that they can't answer, right? So we offer, like a lot of shops, we offer full suite of protection products, children with special needs, regular well-being, income replacement, tax planning, estate planning, business succession. We have it all. I think Joshua hit on it. You have to have the support within the organization, like the coaching and the help. And we have a department that focuses specifically around helping the advisors with their insurance planning. And they can also, if they so desire, use some of the third party BGAs and, you know, to help them write their cases. So we offer it. But as we've been harping on, like if we're really going to practice wealth management and we're really going to be serious about financial planning and helping families achieve their financial goals, you have to make that part of your process that you use to help people with. So, you know, we do it, but I think we can become a lot better at it, to be honest.
6: Did you say process? Your process. Absolutely. That's another one of the buzzwords from the BISA Trend Watch podcast. When you also talk about niches, and, and that's so important too, because there's so many ways to attack the protection problem. And there's different niches that have different needs. So just give me a little bit more on that.
1: What I would say This is where I've seen us have some success. We partner very closely, for example, with our high net worth teams, our folks in in our private bank, private wealth management, and they come across some really, really complex cases that they refer to our wealth management advisors. And a lot of it really, Bob, is really a lot of it is estate planning. My estate is over that 12.3 million exclusion, and I've got to do some planning to make sure that my assets and my legacy is going to go to my family right, and and not get eaten up in taxes. So a lot of it, I think we have a really good niche in that. I think U.S. Bank has a great reputation also with business owners. Business succession planning has been a really, really important one for us where we've been able to differentiate ourselves a little bit.
6: Great. Absolutely. And to our listeners out there, pick any one of the niches. Work on that, and you'll just hit a home run. You will absolutely hit a home run. But why just do one? Do them all. There are specific needs in each and every market out there. Wealth management includes protection. The soapbox I am stepping off of now. And <laughs> in the microphone. I love it. Ah. Does
0: that mean I'm up, <laughs> Bob? <laughs> so the last question before we get to a fun question is is about advisor talent. So the question is, what does our channel have to do to attract Better talent. I think part of it has kind of been implied. So I'm going to see the answer and I want to see if you guys agree. So Scott, I'll have you take this one on first. So my seeding of the answer is part of the way that I think we can attract exceptional talent is by describing to candidates what the value proposition is of working across different departments with other professionals, other wealth professionals in the organization to share business opportunities, right? But we have to deliver on that because you can't make that promise and then an advisor comes in and they get the Heisman from the business lender or whatever, the private banker, right? That's a serious value proposition when you're recruiting if you can deliver on it, right? Because an advisor is not going to get that anywhere else, so that's, that's right. part of the answer in my mind. Is that there's more to it, but but let me get your thoughts, Scott, because I know you guys do a lot of recruiting. What is it going to take to increase the talent level in our channel by better being able to attract top top talent?
1: It's a great question. First of all, let me just kind of just say for the record, I believe attracting and developing talent is the most important job that all of us have right in these programs because they're the ones that are going to be helping these customers. So if you don't attract and develop people, you're not going to be able to deliver really really high quality advice, which is really what people need. The world is becoming increasingly complex, not less so, right? So you need to make sure you have really really high quality gear. Fortunately for us, US Bank has a reputation where our recruiting story is an easy one to tell, right? There, you know, there are instances where if you damage your reputation, that recruiting story becomes a difficult one to tell. We don't have that challenge. But what I would also say is, as I think about this, right, the value proposition of doing this within the context of a retail banking organization is you have to be able to come and integrate yourself into that team and even across lines of business within that banking organization. The people that work in a highly collaborative way and that can do that, right, if you think about it, everyone in that branch or everyone associated with that branch becomes a COI, right? A potential COI for you. If you approach it that way, then you're going to be successful. Like the people that have failed in bank channels and it's across institutions, right? Usually fail, not because they're not good salespeople. They fail because they don't know how to collaborate and partner well with others. So if you can really make it really, really clear and demonstrate that if you can come in and do that, you're going to get more at-bats than you're ever going to get Right, sitting in some independent or national firm where you're trying to do it all on your own, we solve the marketing problem that many people have. Right, because you just can't get in front of enough prospects. I should say, if you can do that, you know, you're going to be. If you can work well with others and get into that flow of that ecosystem, you're going to do well. What I would say is, and, and I'm part of an initiative at U.S. Bank, part of Access Commitment. Part of that is we commissioned a study that we call the Building Black Wealth Insight Study. And in that study, we learned that affluent black customers want to see themselves represented. And we all know this, right, that black advisors are significantly underrepresented in this industry, which points out another problem. We have to be able to home grow our own talent because if there are not enough of them in the industry, right, to really keep up with the changing demographics in this country, then we all have an obligation to kind of do some work and help there. You know, years ago, women made up about 10 or 15 percent of the advisor population. The latest stats I saw, it's north of 30 percent. So we've made a lot of progress. But women make up about 50 percent of the population in this country. So that also implies that it should be significantly more women advisors. Right. So I, I happen to believe fundamentally that we have an obligation to really try to attract and develop the top talent, but also start fishing in different ponds so that we can attract a broader set, a more diverse set. Um, advisors for the way this business is heading for the future.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's so true. And I'll give you an interesting stat that I just read, is that by, I think it was 2035, it's anticipated that women will control about 50, no, it's $30 trillion of wealth, but it's almost besides the point. The interesting stat was that women are definitely starting to manage much more wealth and they will overtake men, right? Because husbands die before wives, typically, right? There is an overwhelming amount of male advisors in our channel that tend to cater to males. So the female gets ignored in instances. So the the interesting stat was that 75% of the time when a woman inherits the wealth because of the passing of a husband, her first act is to fire the male advisor and find somebody she can relate to
1: right? That's exactly right. So
0: we need more female advisors because of that, because the female advisors, so there's a podcast I was listening to and a female advisor was being interviewed and she said she has built her whole extremely successful practice on specializing in women who are either recently widowed or divorced and are now managing wealth. And she is killing it, right? Absolutely. Talk about a niche, but we need more of that. Because that's, that's right. a, it's a differentiator too, right? And we need more differentiation. So that's right. yeah, no, that's I'm right. I'm totally with you, Scott. So, Josh, your thoughts on that subject?
2: Yeah, so this is actually my favorite part of my job is working with advisors, talented advisors, and helping them grow. So, how do we attract those? If you're a talented advisor, a talented person. You're probably not looking for a job to pay the bills, to show up and take advantage of the bare minimum. You're probably somebody that's very driven, looking to take advantage of all the resources available and also be able to grow your practice. You're not comfortable sitting at a set level. You want to join an Ameriprise or a U.S. bank because you want to grow your business. You're a talented individual. So how do we do that? What we want to do is show them that we have all the support. We've talked about it a bunch about groups for high net worth folks. If you want to grow your insurance business, your planning business, we have all those resources available to you. That's going to attract talented individuals. On the flip side, you know, if you're in an institution in a bank, we really focus on making sure that the executives or leaders of those banks and those credit unions, they truly understand what an advisor should look like and not be focused on the month to month or the quarter to quarter, which might've been the way two, three, five, 10 years ago. What have you done for me lately? Let's transactional business. I need somebody in that corner office to just sling fixed annuities. Um, you know, how do we convince the, the leaders of these institutions that it's best for them long-term to bring in talented individuals that are gonna grow a sustainable business with recurring revenue, a wealth management concept, financial planning, you know, all those things that that uh, a talented advisor is going to encompass. So, you know, if we're looking at just the role, that's what we're really trying to focus on. And we've seen a big uptick in that level of talent just because we have what they're looking for right now.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, when you're recruiting, you have to have what I call a North Star. You have to know exactly what you're recruiting for, right? And it's the case in most institutions. They don't spend enough time defining what it is they're looking to hire and interviewing, setting up a set of interview questions based on that definition and then hiring based on that, right? So recruiting is a talent and it's a rigorous process that requires a lot of thought before you even put your toe in the water if you're going to do it right. So it's an, it's an interesting subject. All right. Well, why don't we get to our fun question, Bob? Are you, uh, are you ready for a lightning round? You have our bell ready?
6: We actually like to have some fun with this. So, Josh, what is the strangest thing you've ever ate?
2: I am from the Midwest, born and raised in Minnesota, spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. And if you know the area, we like to pickle everything. So if there's something that can be pickled, pickled eggs, pickled feet, pickled whatever, it's going to be pickled. So just think of anything pickled. Google it. I've had it. I actually do truly enjoy pickled herring. So I know that's something that some people may not like, but you know, if you want to have an interesting meal, you get some crackers, some pickled herring, and uh, you won't go wrong. Or you might hate
6: it, but uh, that's that's where yeah. me—it's pickled. All right, guys. All of our viewers, raise your hand if you've tried pickled herring.
1: Oh, wait, I can't see them. <laughs> I see lots of
6: hands up there. Okay. Scott Ford, your turn
1: yeah so I've switched to a primarily uh plant based diet, but years ago my wife and I went on safari in Tanzania, which is in East Africa and we no actually we went in South Africa and we had ostrich and I got to tell you if, if you know if you're a steakhouse person, it was like eating a ribeye I mean it was absolutely delicious it really was wow, so it didn't taste like wow. chicken it, did, uh-huh. not like chicken. it <laughs> did not taste like chicken <laughs> wow. <All right. laughs> Oh, excellent. I got to put
6: that on my list of things to try. I always like asking Scott Stathis a question. So, Scott Stathis.
0: Yeah. Well, so the strangest thing I ever ate, I was in Colorado at a kind of a hybrid between a ranch and a steakhouse. I had a lot of beer at the time and ended up eating Rocky Mountain oysters.
6: (laughs) okay.
2: And
0: the next day I thought about it and I said, Why did I even do that?
2: (laughs) You're a
1: brave man.
3: Brave man. And Uh, for
0: those of you listening that don't know what they are, don't even bother Googling it. You don't want to know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Bob, how about you?
6: Well, mine will help maybe Scott Ford expand his menu on the plant-based because I went with cactus. Cactus?
1: Cactus. It does does
6: not taste like chicken. Actually, you know what? (laughs) It's Wait, like- but Bob, do the needles get stuck on your tongue or what? <laughs> <laughs> they are taken off first. But it's exactly good to like know cactus. Absolutely. All right, are we ready to wrap it up
0: there, Scott? I, I think it's a wrap. It was a it was a good discussion. You guys gave us some really good feedback. You've eaten some strange things, but this was fun. And thank you guys for all your participation. Bob, you have
6: an official close for us. Yes, but one more thing before we officially close. I like to always write down three of my top takeaways for this podcast. The number one was everyone needs some type of financial plan. Absolutely. Doesn't matter where you are in the investment world, but you need a financial plan. Number two, there are six core needs and one of them is protection. (laughs) Three. (laughs) I think you've heard enough today. Investment services is morphing into wealth management. So, hopefully, you jotted those. All our listeners have jotted those down after they stop driving, because I know many people drive and listen to our podcast. So, that's what I've got for you. Thanks to our panel once again. Thanks to Janet Capalletti and Bank Channel Research for all the monthly benchmarking that we use for our podcast. Thanks to the BISA and Jeff Partney for helping us organize this month' podcast, along with Irene Ye. Thanks to Prize for their sponsorship of this podcast as well. And remember, listeners, we have two other podcast series, Untangling Fintech and Industry Leadership and Success. You can find all those wherever you get all your other podcasts. I think it's time to say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott. <laughs> and goodbye, Josh.
0: <laughs> thank you guys again. A very enjoyable conversation. Much appreciated. And thank you to our listeners who have listened in. Goodbye, everybody.
3: Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.